0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. Today's scripture is a reminder and also a warning concerning God's Word in the end times. You see, it says that God's Word created the world, and God, by His Word, will destroy it. We should live holy and blameless lives, folks. Awaiting for God's judgment. We should trust God's timetable, not our own. We need to guard against scoffers who mock Jesus' return. Let's turn to God's Word in 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll be finishing the book of 2 Peter this morning. And the first thing that we see in God's Word right here is that there is power in God's Word. There is power in God's word. He says here, this is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your Apostles. So right here in the first two letters before we keep going, I want you to see that Peter was trying to keep believers' minds at attention, trying to keep them undistracted. Have you ever heard of the term road hypnosis? I remember when I was in high school and they had driver's Z actually as a course in high school and the teacher told us about you can be a victim of road hypnosis. I'd never heard that before, but what that means is, I don't know if y'all have ever done this, but where you're driving and you start thinking about other things and you zone out. Where you may drive 10, 20 miles and you don't remember what you've done because something has been on your mind. And you see, road hypnosis is a state of reduced awareness while driving. It often is caused by driving for long periods of time or on long roads that you always drive all the time. Some symptoms of road hypnosis include drowsiness, lack of focus, difficulty concentrating, slowed reaction time, and inattention to road conditions. Sounds like one of those medical commercials on TV, doesn't it? But actually the road hypnosis can actually be dangerous because it leads to accidents. So here's the thing. In context of the given passage that Peter has written, road hypnosis can be seen as a metaphor for the way that people can become desensitized to God's love and patience. I heard one person say one time that the church has spent so much time in the light, they've gotten warm and comfortable and fallen asleep. You see, just as people can become drowsy and lose focus while driving, so too can people become complacent and take God for granted. Every word of Scripture matters. As you go back and look at that, Peter clearly believed that the words of Scripture were important. Not not just the text of it, but the words themselves and not merely the meaning behind the words. You see, Peter is reminding you, church, it was reminding the church back then that all authority is found in Scriptures. This is the authority. We were talking in our life group this morning about the fact that the only way to say that these are not authoritative scriptures is to be a God yourself. And the last time I checked, there is nobody in this room that is a God. There may be some in our world that think they are, but they're not. This is the authoritative word of God. And even as you see, when Peter says here that I want you to remember what the Holy Prophet said long ago, he's talking about the writers of the Old Testament, like Moses. He's talking about Samuel. He's talking about the book of Judges. He's talking about the prophets, major and minor. But then he says, and also what the Lord and Savior commanded through our apostles. We know that now is the New Testament. He's saying, look, those of us that have lived with Jesus, that have seen Jesus and recorded what he said by the inspiration of God, You can take these words to the bank. You need to remember them. Then he says in verse 3, most importantly, when I read the term most importantly, that would mean that we probably need to understand what he's saying here. It says, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? from before the times of our ancestors everything has remained the same since the world was first created when he says most importantly or those of you that are in King James it will probably say knowing this first it should be no surprise to any believer that we will encounter scoffers or haters for what we believe you see John 15:18 Jesus tells us, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. When it says here about the last days, the scoffers, the haters, and the naysayers, they think this. They think, yeah, yeah, Jesus has been talking about it. he's going to come, and these are, we're living in the last days. He's been saying that for over 2,000 years, and nothing has happened yet. You ever heard people say that? Have you ever thought that to yourself? Well, here goes the preacher talking about end days, but he had not come yet. and It's been 2,000 years. I think we're okay. That can be your opinion, but that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says is we are living in our last days. And the, the problem is that when we think about last days, could be any moment, we are thinking in a linear human understanding of what time is. We're thinking 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 52 weeks in a year, 365 days in a year, 10 years in a decade, and so on. We're measuring by our understanding. But just to let you know, the last days are the time between Jesus' first arrival to the earth and his imminent second return. So my friends, you can put whatever time factor you want on that. But we are living in the last days. The time between when Jesus came to the earth and left and the time when he came back, those are the last days. Hear me, Peter is telling us we are living in the last days. Your grandparents said that. Your great-grandparents said that. You're going to tell your children that. Your children, God willing, will tell their children that. But we are living in the last days. And considering those time brackets, we are living in last days. But those with a scoffing mentality, those haters, they deliberately overlook the fact that God has intervened in human history numerous times. Look at what Peter says in verse 5. He says they deliberately forget. In other words, they don't just forget, they deliberately put it out of their mind that God made the heavens long ago. You don't believe me? Read Genesis where he just spoke. The, word, the world into existence. It says, And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Verse 6, Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept up for the day of judgment when the ungodly people will be destroyed. Notice, By God's word. When God speaks, all of creation listens. God brought the world into existence with this spoken world. Not only does God's word create, but we also see that at God's word, he will send his son back and judgment will come. Peter disarms the haters' arguments over a false belief of last days are nothing to take seriously by proclaiming, That God is the master of time. God does not go by your timetable or my timetable. He didn't have to get an extra hour of sleep today. That means I can preach for an extra hour, right? (laughs) Just kidding. I wouldn't want to hear me for an extra hour either. But seriously, just like I've I've talked with Patsy, her husband was pastor here before me, and um, we always say that I'll quit preaching when God finishes talking. So, amen. But here's what I want you to see. God created the world with his word. And he will also use his word to bring judgment and destruction. It says in Revelation 19, verse 20. In Revelation 20, verses 10 through 15, that in Noah's day, the earth was judged by water. At Jesus' return, it will be judged by fire. People would say that the flood destroyed the earth. God would say that it cleansed the earth. Take a moment and read Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 15. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. And death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is a second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is not an allegory. This is not a fairy tale. This is what's going to happen. This is what God showed John in a vision what would happen. So do not take the time God is giving you for granted. Do not take the time that God has given you for granted in second Peter verse chapter three, verse eight through thirteen. it says in second Peter three verse eight, but you must not forget this one thing that reminds me of uh, those of you that are older will remember was it Columbo the detective peter falk he would do the he would do the interview and he'd be ready to walk out from talking to that person he would say Oh, and by the way, one more thing. And then he would zing them with whatever it was, and they knew that they were busted. So here we go. Peter is saying, but you must not forget this one thing. Dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. the Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want... Anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. There was a guy who was praying to God and he asked, God, is it true that a billion years to you is like a second? God said, yes. The guy said, God, is it true that to you a billion dollars is like a penny? God said, yes. The guy said, So can I have a penny? God said, sure, in a second. We are living on God's timetable, folks. One day is equal to a thousand years to God. We, we know that Psalm 90 verse 4 says that. So what I'm telling you is, if you're looking at the second coming of Christ as a linear calendar that we define time by, you're looking at the wrong scorecard. You got the wrong ruler. I don't, for me personally, I... I I am grateful to know that those that I love that have passed on are not sitting up there for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You never know. It may be like a blink of an eye to them and we're going to be up there. I don't know. But I do know this. I knew it says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief in the night. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Folks, the day of the Lord is God's judgment on the earth. We don't like to hear that. We don't like to preach about it. It doesn't, it's not one of those neat little packages you can put where everybody's going to have warm fuzzies, but it is the truth that Peter is giving to you and giving to me today. There is a limit to God's patience and love. That sounds very hateful when you say it like that, but Here's why it's the opposite of hateful. It is loving because His offer is for you to come to know Him, to repent from your sins and to be in a relationship with Him. He has staved it off. He has put it off until whoever He is that is waiting for them to come to know Him comes to know Him. So folks, if we do have another day today, it is by the grace of God. God knows that some will never choose Jesus as their Savior. He knows who's going to be saved and who's not. And Jesus is waiting for someone, someone to repent and accept Him as their Savior and Lord. And you never know, today might be your day. There's a promise of a new heaven and a new earth The new heavens and the new earth refer to a promise that God made to his people long ago. If you don't believe me, you can look at it in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, where he gives that promise of the new heaven and the new earth. We did a Bible study a long time ago called Heaven by Randy Alcorn, an awesome book I encourage you if you'd like to know more about heaven and want to know that heaven is more than just a long church service. It's a great book. Because God created heaven... It had a beginning and therefore it's neither timeless nor changeless. It had a past, meaning time prior to Christ coming to the earth. It has a present, where believers go when they die. And it has a future, the new heaven and the new earth. The past heaven, the present heaven, and the future or eternal heaven can be called heaven. Now, Not to get into the weeds, but I'll tell you this. I have people ask me all the time, well, those that we love, are they in heaven now or not? And the truth of the matter is, they are in heaven. I tell people like this, and this may be a great way to explain it, or maybe you've got a better way to explain it to me later on, and I'll I'll recant if I'm wrong, but it's kind of like a doctor's office. You go into the doctor's office, you're in the waiting room. Are you in the doctor's office? Yes. Alright. Then, after three hours of waiting in the, the, the waiting room, you go into the doctor's office where the nurse takes your vitals. They tell you to prepare yourself and take off whatever. And then you're there for another hour. Are you in the doctor's office? And then finally, the doctor comes in. And you're with the doctor. And he's talking with you. And you're asking him questions. And he's telling you how much weight you need to lose. And all that kind of good stuff like that. All of that. Waiting room. The examination room. Time with the doctor. All of that is heaven. All of that is the doctor's office. So when we die, people who die now, they go to heaven. The Bible calls it paradise. To Heaven is where God is. God is in heaven. So yes, our loved ones that knew Christ, are in heaven. They are in paradise. And then after the judgment, we will join them if we are still alive or wherever we are at, at the time. If the Lord calls us home to the rapture, we will join them. And then all of us will be in the new heaven and the new earth. All of this. Just as our bodies are destroyed by death, this world will be destroyed by death. And then He will rebuild it to be perfect and we will be with God. You can't pray people out of heaven or into heaven. You can't pray people out of hell. Just as you have these various stages of heaven, you have various stages of separation from God, which is hell. We have people that, unfortunately, they make the wrong decision in their life. They die. They cannot come back from that. and They are in a place called Hades or Sheol, which is a place separate from God. Is it the final hell? No, but it is Hell, Because hell is where God is not. And that's what Peter is alluding to in this passage. Folks, the most loving thing that we can do for our friends and family is to warn them about the road that leads to destruction and tell them about the road that leads to life. That is the most loving thing that we can do. If you love your family members, don't coddle them And tell them they're okay when you know the Bible says they're not. It doesn't mean you need to beat them over the head with the Bible. It doesn't mean you need to cram it down their throats. It doesn't mean you need to shout at them or judge them. But it does mean you need to pray for them and seek for a way that God can give you or someone the opportunity to share God's life-giving truth with them. I don't need to judge somebody in sin. The Bible does a good enough job by itself. In the Bible, where it judges, it also gives grace, and it also gives mercy, and it also gives us room for repentance and returning to God. You don't believe me? Ask the prodigal son. You don't believe me? Ask David. Third thing that we see is to make every effort to live righteously. It's all about the effort, folks. Look at what he says, verse 14. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make... Every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. As I said, there is a limit to God's love and patience, but right now is not the limit. He is holding out hope that all who will come to know Him will. He's giving them every opportunity. He's giving you the opportunity to get your stuff straight. Maybe, maybe the message is not about everybody else, but maybe God's giving you time to get your stuff straight. Maybe you feel like that God has gypped you. Maybe you feel like that there's something you can't get out of. And you've got to remember that you've got time today, but I don't know about in the next five minutes. God's love is full of grace and mercy, but it will come to an end one day. Jesus' crucifixion demands it too. Verse 16, speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. He's talking about Paul. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean quite different, something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction. There has never been such a contortion and twisting and misapplication and proof texting of God's word that it is today in God's church and in God's society of Christianity. People claim Christianity. They wear his t-shirts. They have his bumper stickers and they listen to his music, but they wouldn't know him if they were in the room with him because they have twisted and distorted Scripture. People are worshiping worshiping a Jesus that they have put together, not the one that is found in the Bible. You know how I know that? Because they're not reading the Bible, but they're claiming they know Jesus. Peter was already placing Paul's writings on the same level as the Old Testament writings, as inspired Scriptures. Folks, now is not the time to be lazy or complacent. God knows the effort or the lack thereof you are putting into growing your faith. He knows if you're, if you're phoning it in, folks. If you're phoning in your faith, He knows it. Just like a coach on a football team, He knows when somebody, an athlete is giving a half effort and not a full effort. Notice where it's said here in verse 14. You are to lead peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. i got news for you, my friend. You're not going to be able to do that. What do you mean, preacher? I'm not going to be able to do that. Why would God tell me to do something I can't do? I'm telling you, in your own strength, you cannot be blameless. In your own strength, you cannot be pure. That is why you need Jesus Christ the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith, so that when God looks at you, Christian, He's not looking at you. He's looking at Jesus who lives in you. If you want to be blameless, if you want to be pure, if you want to be righteous, it means accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, taking it seriously, and putting in the work and the effort to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but I'm just saying if it's so good, you've got to work at it. I don't know of any football player that is, is drafted into the NFL and all of a sudden, woo! I was, I was the big quarterback on my college campus and now I'm playing for this huge NFL team, so I'm just going to coast. Good luck with that. When you have some 500-pound lineman run you over, Folks, I'm telling you, if you are cocky and confident in your faith and you think there's no more to learn, there is something waiting around the corner to knock you on your backside. We need to depend on God's Word and we need to put in the effort to live a righteous life. Because only through Christ can we live righteously. Only through Christ can we live righteously. Look at what it says in Colossians 1.22, says, Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So Peter says you've got to be blameless, you've got to be pure. Paul says in Colossians the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. And then finally, be on your guard against the scoffers. The scoffers are loud, folks. The haters are real. He says in verse 17 and 18, You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. That's right. Be on guard. Remember, this is the letter of a man that knows his time on earth is about to come to end in a horrific way, of being crucified upside down. If you're on your deathbed and you're trying to impart wisdom to those you love, don't you see the tears and the sweat and the emotion that is in this letter, folks? You say, "Look, I, I can't protect you anymore. I've done all I can do. So be on your guard." Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. The reason people are insecure in their faith is because they're not reading the Bible and they don't know what they believe. Cults are targeting Christians that don't know the Bible because they can infuse what they want into their lives and all of a sudden they have a little bit of Bible and a lot of culture and then they have, I don't know what you call that, but that's what we got today. And they're also unsure about what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, and God's will for their lives because they have got a combination, a, a soup, so does potluck soup of culture, convictions, agendas, and a little bit of Scripture. That's a good way to be a boat without an anchor. Peter comes full circle. Well, actually... Verse 18, rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. All glory to him now and forever. If you haven't heard anything else Peter has said in the last couple of chapters, he's telling you now is the time to be serious about God's word, to be serious about your faith, and it's time for you to grow in your faith. It's time for you to dig. There's a storm coming. Like in Wilmington when they used to say, there's a tor- there's a." A hurricane coming. People would board up, their, board up their, their houses, get sandbags, get generators, prepare for the worst. But I think when those days come for the church, many people are just going to be bowled over because they didn't prepare. They didn't grow. If you are a parent today, you better dig in. We have lost a generation. We don't need to lose another. If you are an educator If you are a leader in church, if you've got grandchildren, if you've got children of influence, you better dig in right now. Because they're not learning it in other places. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says they learn it at home. But the problem is those at home are too inept to teach it because they're not following it. It's serious, folks. We are living in the last days. And don't blow that off because, again, the last days are between when Jesus came and Jesus returns. It's time to be serious, folks. Your sure footing in the upside-down world is based on two things. Your knowledge of God's Word and your knowledge of God's grace. Your knowledge of God's Word and your knowledge of God's grace. And I can't force feed that to you on one hour on Sundays. You've got to dig and get it for yourselves. There is a limit to God's patience and love no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus, folks. We can always read more. We can always study more. We can always serve more. But the time to be saved and serve God is now. I'll close with this. If you go back and you read the account of Noah and the ark, you will see that, number one, they had never seen rain. And so when they found out God had told this guy to build a boat, that there was going to be a big storm coming, he goes down to the Home Depot and says, Hey, man, I need some gopher wood. Gopher wood? What do you need gopher wood for? I'm going to build a boat. Why? Because God told you? (laughs) That's hilarious, Noah. You're crazy, man. Then all of a sudden, he became the crazy guy building a boat down the street. People laughed at him. People continued in their sin. They didn't take him seriously, but every while while people were laughing at him, he was hammering away. He was putting the, the patch or whatever on the boards to, to keep it sealed in, working on it until all of a sudden, what is this? What is this? Stuff? There's water on my hand. It's, it's falling out of the sky. Did you see this? There's water coming out of the sky. And it keeps coming and coming and coming. All of a sudden the water's up to the news and we're like, whoa we got a problem here. We can't stop it. Oh, God, why are you doing this to us? And it gets higher and higher until all of a sudden they realize, we need to find the dude with the boat. And then so they come and they go to the boat. And the boat is floating on the water now. And they are barely trying to tread water to keep them and their children and their family alive. And they are screaming, please let us in. But the door closes. And oh, by the way, if you read it, Noah didn't close the door, God did. Right now, there are a lot of people, like the people in Noah's days, that are laughing at, 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 laughing at God and laughing at God's people because we are building the boat of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and nobody's taking it seriously. But my friends, one day they will, and it will not be by water. It will be by water fire and if you don't believe me read it for yourselves we need to take our faith seriously we need to grow in his word and we need to grow in his knowledge and grace the time to be saved is now Noah is building the ark and the scoffers did not take him seriously until the rain came and the door was shut folks I can hear the door creaking now and it's about to shut Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Peter encouraging us as believers, Lord, to to take our faith seriously, to to take your word seriously, and to know that these are the days where we need to be vocal about our faith and that we need to do all that we can to share your love with others. Because one day, one day, that door is going to close. One day, your grace and mercy and patience will run out. And I pray that we and all those that we love are on this side of that decision and not the other side. This is not a sermon to to feel guilty and bad about ourselves. It's one to wake up, put in the effort, and quit whining about the things you can't change and change the things you can change. God, thank You for Your Word. If there's one person here today that would like to come to the front and pray at the altar or pray with me, maybe today is the day that you want to know for sure that you have that relationship with the Lord. Or you have a prayer request, whatever it may be. Maybe you want to join this church or be baptized. This is your decision, Lord. Your time to move. And if there's someone that is scared about standing up and scared about what people would think, folks, if you cannot stand in the midst of God's followers that would rejoice with this decision, There is no hopes of you standing outside of these doors. This is just an opportunity, Lord, for someone to reach out to you. May you get the glory, for it's in your name we pray.